Oh, by the way, you might like to check out my completely free 20 lessons I learned in my 20 email course. This is five days worth of emails. You can click the link in the description, you enter your email address, and then it will, and then I'll send you an email every day for five days. And each email will have four different life lessons that have been taken from my experiences in my life over the last like 10 years. Um, so if you're interested in that, check it out. Five days of emails, you can unsubscribe anytime. It's completely free, never gonna sell your data, all of that stuff, but that's linked down below. Hello and welcome to Deep Dive, the podcast that delves into the minds of entrepreneurs, creators, and other inspiring people to uncover their journeys towards finding joy and fulfillment at work and in life. My name is Ali, and in each episode, I chat to my guests about the philosophies, strategies, and tools that have helped them along the path to living a life of happiness and meaning. This week, I sit down with web designer, content creator, and entrepreneur, Olier. Known for his polished, minimalist aesthetic online and premium tech blog, Ultralinks, Olier has built a following of over 100,000 to which he shares his tips on tech, lifestyle, and financial independence. In our conversation, we talk about everything from dropping out of school and making $600,000 from selling Tumblr themes. I'm in a very fortunate position where I get to do stuff that I enjoy already for work. Mm. I just happen to also make money with it. To the art of dropshipping and the lessons he learned from beating cancer. All right, Olio, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. We, st we still don't have a name for the podcast. We were brainstorming podcast yeah. names earlier this morning. I liked Unplugged. Unplugged, okay. I like unplugged, but, but but it's not my podcast. I mean, unplugged could work. Afternoon tea, deep dive. I'm, I'm nah, sure. Afternoon tea, please. I'm sure by the time this goes out, we actually will have a name for the podcast. Yeah. And so, when when I do my intro about you, I'll say, "Hey, friends, welcome back to the mm, podcast." <laughs> <Yeah>. And <laughs> people won't know that this is a. Uh... Um, anyway, first thing I wanted to ask you: How the hell have you made over six hundred thousand dollars from selling <laughs> Tumblr themes? Like, what what's going on there? What was the story? Okay, so this is a good story. So. I've done a video on it before, but I'll just go through it. I can't remember exactly what I said, but um, obviously I, I was into I was into Tumblr. I was into using Tumblr. I had my own Tumblr blog um, where I used to post images and stuff. It was literally like having a mood board. That's, what, that's how I used Tumblr. I used it as a mood board. I like posting images on there and I thought, hey, I want to modify my Tumblr website. I want to I wanna, I wanna make it look more like what I want it to look like. You know, I want it to be more me. So I started messing around with the code and stuff messing around with the design and stuff, I thought, hey, you know, let's let's see what I can do. And I sort of just fell into messing around and, and making Tumblr themes. It was literally by chance. And then I could see, you know, hey, Tumblr had a Tumblr theme garden. They were selling themes on there. I had no idea how much people were making on there, to be honest. I thought it was maybe like $1,000, $2,000 a month. Um, so then I started just making themes, going into it, not really having high expectations, went into it. And then here I was one or two months where I made like $30,000 a month and I was, I was just like, what? I was like 21 at the time. So you can imagine 21 year old having that sort of money. It's just like, holy crap, like what am I going to do now? I feel like that was actually a very big turning point in my life because before that I was earning quite little money. Um, but the Tumblr themes definitely transformed my life. Tumblr probably don't know that. They probably <laughs> don't know that. They actually literally changed my life in terms of what I could do and the possibilities that came along from that. So you had a Tumblr blog and you decided you wanted to modify your own page to make it look more like you. And then you thought, let's sell, sell. How much, how much were you selling these themes for? So Tumblr has three different pricing models. Well, three pricing, pricing tiers, $9, $19 and $49. I was trying to make themes on the higher end, $49. There were some more simpler themes that were $19, but most of them were $49 each. Okay. And so you make the theme once and then you can sell it multiple times for $49. Whoever exactly. wants to use that theme to make that Tumblr page look like yours can use it. Exactly, yeah, exactly. How, how did you know how to make Tumblr themes? Like, yeah. Well, Tumblr luckily have a very easy documentation that you can follow. And 
it's nowhere near as complicated as some of the other sort of platforms out there, like WordPress, you could say. Tumblr is very, very simple. I think anyone who learns HTML and CSS can learn to make a Tumblr theme. It is very, very simple. Fair play. So how, how old were you when you stumbled onto this gold mine of Tumblr themes? I, well, t- um, I knew of Tumblr since I was like 18, 19. But making actual Tumblr themes and making money, I was around like 20, 21. Oh, so. fair play. Okay. So I wonder if we can rewind back to sort of okay. early life. <laughs> So let's say, you know, what were you like in, in secondary school, sort of age, age 11 to 18? How did you spend your time? Were you like a massive nerd back then as well? Like, what, what was the vibe? I feel like I was one of those kids that sort of sat in the background at school. And I, I, would, I wouldn't say I was a nerd, but I also wouldn't say I was like, oh, really popular kid, you know? I was just passively going through school, mainly because I didn't enjoy school. Um, but yeah, like my school life, I, I didn't really enjoy school that much, if I'm honest. I'm not a very academic person. Okay. And then you didn't go to university? No. So what did, what did you do instead? So I went to college because I didn't even do A-levels. I, I went to college and I did like a level three course, level four course, something like that, um, on accounting and business. Because I thought, oh, I was going to become an accountant. I'm really <laughs> okay. glad that didn't happen. But whilst I was doing that, that's when I started getting into computers and stuff. That's when I started getting into websites and stuff like that. Because I started my blog, theultralinks.com. I don't really post on it anymore. It's kind of dead now but I started posting on that 2010 2010 and what sparked that was an Android phone that I bought at the time I bought an Android phone I wanted to customize it you know changing your icons and wallpapers was like a really big thing it was quite a nerdy thing to do and I would share it on the blog and I guess that's where I started when it comes to building any sort of online presence so you were you would have been around 17 ish at the time uh, yeah, yeah. Or yeah. thereabouts. 17, 18, yeah. Okay. Uh, so it's a it's a pretty random thought process to have at the age of 17. You know what? I want to customize <laughs> my Android phone, therefore I'm going to start a blog. Like, yeah. what was the what was the link there? So the first place that I actually started finding people customizing their phones was a forum. It was just a forum online. And people were posting their, their screens on the forum. They're posting their customizations on the forum. And I just thought to myself, hey, you know, why I can post it on a forum, but I can also post it on a blog, my own sort of little corner of the internet, you could say. Um, so I'd post it there and then I'd get people to come to my blog as well. And that's how I sort of built it. And that's what sort of sparked me to make the blog. Okay. And this was a Tumblr blog? No, this was actually just a normal like... Like WordPress or... No, it wasn't even WordPress. It was Google Blogspot. Oh, wow. So really old school. Really, okay. really old school. But I moved it over to WordPress, I think in 2012. Okay, so two years later. Yeah. So what sort of stuff were you posting on the blog for that two-year period? Two-year period, I was just posting... I was posting anything I found interesting. Okay. Like, I was obviously interested in, like, design and stuff and product design, all these different things. I'd post, like... I'd even post, like, Apple News or, like, new phone news, smartphone news, all these different things. Literally whatever I found interesting. There wasn't any rigid structure, um, but it was just whatever I liked. And what sort of traffic were you getting to this blog between in, in that time period? So I think 2012, 2013... 2013, I was getting around half a million views a month. Bloody hell. So, That's yeah, a lot. <laughs> but you say that at the time, um, I wasn't really making much money from it. Okay. Because I, I didn't really know how to monetize it. And CPMs weren't that high back then yeah. either. Um, so, yeah, I wasn't really making much money from my blog until around 2013. Okay, hang on. So, so you started the blog in 2010, posting about these Android things, posting random stuff yep, that you were interested yep, in. Yep. How did it get so popular so as to have 500,000 views a month? I honestly don't know. Yeah. I can't answer that question. <laughs> okay. I honestly don't know. I think it is just a matter of, People like seeing the customizations. I guess it goes down to another reason why I guess people like following me on Instagram or YouTube. 
they like my sort of this sounds so pompous but they like my sort of style mm. and aesthetic you could say you've even said it before like i had this like sort of certain aesthetic and i think that's why people liked it okay that's what people like to tell me anyway and, and uh, how how did you develop this aesthetic over time oh, I, I, I honestly don't know either mm. I, I think it is just one of those things where i was like hey i like this hey i like that um i think i, I didn't really have anyone where they sort of sparked my interest in that aesthetic yep I think it was just a matter of, hey, you know, I grew up in a house where everything was really messy. Yep. And now I want everything to be like really sort of clean and minimal. Got it. So I think that's what made me spark. Interesting. I just wanted the opposite. So, so let's say we're in, we're in 2010, you've posted your first blog post. Presumably no one is reading the blog at this point because it's your first blog post. Mm. And, and then presumably you had to post fairly consistently to build kind of sure. the, uh, the authority and the, the blog over time. Yeah. How did you bring yourself to continue to post on it in the early days when you weren't getting that feedback of views and comments and stuff? Yeah, of course. I think, obviously, when you're like 17, 18, 19, 20, that sort of age range, I feel like you kind of just, a lot of the things you do, you do it because you enjoy it, right? You, you don't go into it making money, hmm. um, into it like make, thinking that you're going to make a lot of money. And that is literally it. I just enjoyed sharing that stuff online. I enjoyed sharing like like you do like you know you make these videos everyone makes these videos youtubers make these videos because they want to share their opinions um, whatever they're making whatever they're doing same sort of thing for me and i wanted to do it on a blog so now we're we're in 2013 your blog is getting half a million hits a month like what are you what is what does a day in your life look like so at the time obviously i was i was at college i was studying and stuff um learning at college and i'd only go to college i think three or four times a week so the rest of the time i had a lot of free time and it's why I would post on the blog. It's why I would do that sort of stuff. Um, again, my schedule was very open, um, like it is now. I don't, I don't like to have a rigid structure. Um, but I did obviously nearly every day post stuff on on the blog because I enjoyed doing it. You know, if I had a few hours here and there, I would just do it because I enjoyed doing it. Hmm. Okay. So, at what at what point did it turn from something you enjoy doing into more of like a business, if if ever? Twenty thirteen, I think. Um, when I left college, I thought to myself, okay, I can either go to university or I can carry on with this blog thing. Um, like I said, I wasn't really making any money. I wasn't making much money. Um, but I thought to myself, let's give myself 12 months. If I can make, say, two grand a month, for example, then I'm, I'm rolling. Like two grand a month, that's 24,000 pounds a year for me. And I'm, I'm 21. That's great for money for me at the time. And yeah, like 2013, the blog was making that sort of money. And then I remember there were some months where it was making like five grand a month, $5,000 a month. Um, how, how was it making money in the through, early days? Through banner ads like Google AdSense. Ads really? And stuff. Yeah. <laughs> You're making yeah. up to 5K a month from a month, Google yeah. AdSense on the blog. Yeah, and nice. sponsored posts as well. So sometimes like, you know, a brand would be like, hey, can we post our product? Can we post a link or whatever? Um, and I would charge for that. Damn, okay. So you've got this blog that was then going. What was your next sort of hustle that you added to the to the mix? It, it was my themes. It was okay. my themes. So um, the themes thing really took over because obviously the themes making twenty thirty thousand dollars a month. Um, that's much more of a lucrative thing to do than the blog. So that's where I focused a lot of my time, and that's where I focused my time for around two years, three years. Okay. Um, it's like making more and more themes, or yeah, making more and more themes and supporting the themes because obviously there'd be a lot of people who'd buy one and they'd need to customize it or they need to change something mm. and i had a, quite a few i say famous people like j 
Justin Bieber, for example, was used one of my teams. <laughs> um, but I'm sure it wasn't Justin Bieber himself. I'm sure it was his team, for yeah. example. Um, I had brands like BMW and some other random brands as well. Some like big companies use my my Tumblr themes. Amazing. Which is actually really great to see. Like it sort of gave me that sort of seal of approval, you could say, showing that, hey, if these brands are using it, then surely I'm doing something right. Yeah, I remember around around that time, like 2013 to 2015, I, I was getting... I, I was using WordPress quite a lot for my business that I'd set up at the time. Sure. And on places like ThemeForest, I was yeah. seeing just how much money yeah. people were making through WordPress themes. And I tried to dabble with WordPress theme development myself one summer and I just it went down the rabbit hole and it was just <laughs> yeah. so hard that I thought, you know what, I see why <laughs> these guys are making the big bucks from, from selling these themes for $50. Yeah. Um, so you're working on this on this for two years. What did that, what, what did that feel like that first month where you suddenly make $30,000? That's just completely insane for like a 21 year old. At 21 making that sort of money. In fact, even even like now, uh, you know, yeah, it is, that's like course. a doctor's no, no. salary for a whole year you're that you've not. made in a month off you're... of selling website themes. No, you're completely yeah. right. Making that sort of money even now is just insane. Um, but yeah, at 21, I just thought to myself, I luckily didn't go off the rails. Mm. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't go crazy and think, hey, I'm making all this money. Let's spend it straight away. I saved a lot of it. I saved a lot of it because I realized like, just growing up without money anyway like my parents you know they didn't have they didn't have a lot of money they didn't have like any high paying jobs or whatever um and i knew that you know making this sort of money this is some of the most money ever like even my parents have ever seen so i knew that i couldn't waste it i knew that i had to put it away and do something with it so i knew from quite early on maybe since i was like 19 20 that it was important to save up for like a deposit for a house for example i knew that was important and that's what i did I saved a lot of it just so that I could buy my own place and not be dependent on my parents. Mm. I really like this point that you made about how in the in the early days you're not you're not really doing it for the money, you're doing it because you enjoy it. Mm. Um, I wanted to ask, did you enjoy like 100% of it or like 80% of it? Like what were the yeah. because because everything has bits that are like less fun. Like sure. how do you how did you think about those back in the day? Yeah, sure. So the way I see it is sometimes you've got to go through a little bit of struggle here and there to have like that delayed gratification, you could say, where, you know, going through a struggle for a little bit or just doing something you don't like means that it can, you can do something that you do like almost in a way. Mm. It's like, it's like a vice versa sort of exchange almost in a way. That's how I see it. Um, and I still, I still sort of stand by that. I still sort of think to myself, hey, you know, if I work hard now, if I do this now, if I just get it done now, I don't have to think about it later. Even for example, you know, <laughs> I don't know, you probably don't know what this is like, but I hate having my kitchen dirty, for example. I hate having the dishes out and stuff. I just think to myself, it only takes me five minutes to put my dishes away. I just do it now because once it's done, I don't have to think about it later on. Okay. It's that sort of thing for me. Okay. So what was the what, what were the areas of struggle that that were the equivalent to the putting the dishes away sure. in this sort of business? So when, when I was doing the Tumblr themes, for example, the hardest part was doing the more complex coding. So I wasn't very good with JavaScript, for example. So... Something like that, I really didn't enjoy doing it. I didn't want to learn it. So with the themes that I had made, the simpler themes, I used the money that I made from those themes to hire an external developer to make and do the more complex stuff for me. Hmm. And you, you can hire someone to do that quite cheaply. If you, if you find someone online, you know, it doesn't have to be someone in the UK. It can, be, it can be someone in the UK or someone in the US. But finding a JavaScript developer just to make a few changes here and there to add some yeah. things to a theme that you've already made is quite affordable. Okay. No, fair play. 
And and just on this note of like having having fun with stuff,、mm. do you think for you you do you think you, for for you it was more that you found something that you happened to find fun, or alternatively that you found ways to make this thing fun for yourself? Like what, what? Yeah, I think I found something that was just fun. Like I I wasn't looking for it. I just. I literally just stumbled across it. Like I was into customizing my phone at the time, anyway. Like you know, when I when, I, when we talk about the blog, starting the blog and stuff, I just enjoy customizing my phone. The side benefit was, hey, I can share this with other people,、mm. and then obviously it just sort of spiraled into doing all these different things. And now, here I am, doing this with you. <laughs> I guess,、yeah. which is just so hilarious when you when I think back. Like all these little things have led me here. Yeah, and do you think would would it be fair to say that you were like? Were kind of just chasing the things that you found fun at each junction, and it happened to lead you here. Or was there more of a sort of strategic vision behind any of this stuff? There is some strategic sort of strategic sort of vision,、um, but I, I don't think it's it's like very. I don't like I said. I don't really have like a proper structure.、Um, I sort of just think to myself, "Hey, okay, what is it I enjoy doing now? Like as an adult now, as as." Twenty-eight-year-old, I think to myself, "What is it I enjoy doing now?" And you know, can I can I make money from it? Is it something I can enjoy, I can see myself doing in say two years, five years, ten years, or whatever?、Um, that's how I see things now. But I wasn't like that when I was like twenty years old, twenty-one years old. I kind of just thought, "Hey, let's just see what happens. Let's see how things go." Because you just don't know. You don't have the life experience, right? So you just don't know. Okay. So, so sounds like twenty ten to twenty thirteen. It was like your blog days, and then twenty thirteen through to twenty fifteen was your Tumblr theme heyday. Yeah, yeah. So now it's it's twenty fifteen. What what what's what's all you're doing in twenty fifteen? Yeah. So twenty fifteen was a big year, not in terms of money,、mm. but in terms of、um, what I was going to do next. So twenty fifteen was actually when I got my first office and made my first hire.、Mm. So twenty fifteen. June twenty fifteen, I got my own office space, and that's actually where I started making YouTube videos as well. My first YouTube video is a tour of my office space、okay. that I made with my iPhone. You don't even see my face on it. Yep, it's literally just me going around showing my office space. Why did you get an office space?、Um, just because I was still at home, living at home with my parents. Okay,、um, working from a room which was like three by three. It was actually、yep. tiny. I couldn't even fit a wardrobe in it. I had like a bed and a desk.、That's、okay.、It. So you're making thirty k a month, and you're thinking, you know what? Let's like, <laughs>、yeah. let's like upgrade let's the live setup.、Money. Yeah. Okay. So I ended up getting an office for quite cheap. It's only like nine thousand pounds a year, so very very cheap、really、yeah. for an office space.、Um, but it was like the size of my parents' house. So I just thought, hey, this is good、yeah. money to invest in, and it means I don't have my parents always sort of like coming in and being like, hey, Ollie, you know,、yeah. can do this, can do that. Yeah. You know, I don't have people walking in randomly. You know, whatever. So、I、have a proper office space where I can actually work from. And where I can have employees,、yeah. or whatever. So who, who was your first hire? So Charlie、um, was my first hire. I went to college with him. We kept in touch, like because I left college like twenty twelve. We kept in touch over the years, and yeah, I was just like, "Hey, Charlie, do you want to come work for me?" And it's like, "Yeah, let's do it." And he's been working for me since. So what was Charlie doing for you in the early days? So in the early days, Charlie was actually posting on the blog. He was he took over the blog pretty much. He was managing that that website. And then his role in the business in the company changed. 
It keeps changing, to be honest. Mm. He doesn't have a, a specific role. I like to call him operations manager. Oh. Because, <laughs> because it makes him, you know, it sounds important. Yeah. I mean, that's similar to Angus's title, <laughs> yeah. which is operations <laughs> director. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm just like, hey, Charlie, I need this thing, I need that thing. Can you do it? Whatever. Yeah. Charlie's a very flexible person. And yep. it's nice having a person like that. And I'm sure you know, because you have Angus mm. be that person for you. Yeah, just sort of doing any, anything and everything. Yeah. If like anything comes up and you don't have the time or maybe... You just, you literally just can't do it. You need someone else to do it. Yep. Hand it over. Nice. So it's 2015, you've got your office space. What prompted you to turn it into a YouTube video? Because that was also a bit of a weird thing to do in 2015. That it, it's, it's, it's not a thought process that a lot of people would have had. True. That, hey, let me, let me film a YouTube video of my office. True, yeah. So when I got my office space, I was like any person. Start looking for inspiration yep. for office space setups and stuff like that, right? <laughs> of course. Like, both of my channels are like yep. our office workspace setups are some of the most popular videos on our mm. channels, right? So I saw all these little setups on, on on YouTube and stuff, and I thought to myself, "Hey, I can just share my one because I was also posting on Instagram at the time, and I would share pictures of my workspace on Instagram, and I used to get a lot of comments of people asking me, "Hey, can you post a video of it on YouTube? Have you ever considered oh, okay. posting a video?" Um, and that's where I sort of fell into just doing YouTube. We're going to take a very quick break to introduce our sponsor for this episode, and that is Brilliant. I've been using Brilliant for the last two plus years. They're a fantastic platform for learning maths, science, and computer science with engaging and interactive online courses. And the great thing about Brilliant is that they really teach stuff from a very first principles-based approach. It's almost like the way that we were taught in places like Oxford and Cambridge, where you learn a concept and then you apply the concept to an interesting problem, rather than just being spoon-fed stuff like we initially learned in school. My favorite courses on Brilliant are the computer science ones, uh, as some of you guys might know I was torn between applying to medicine and computer science. I went for medicine in the end, but I always had an affinity to computer science and taking the courses on Brilliant, like their introduction to algorithms and their introduction to Python, really helped me get more of a grasp of computer science than I've ever had before. It's also great for learning how to code, which is an incredibly useful skill to have, especially if you want to start a business. And I attribute like 98% of my business success to the fact that I learned how to code when I was in secondary school. So if you want to check out the courses on math, science and computer science, then head over to brilliant.org forward slash deep dive and the first 200 people to sign up with that link will get 20% off the annual premium subscription. So thank you, Brilliant, for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so your first video was the office tour. At what point did you decide, hey, I'm, I'm going to become a YouTuber and start actually making YouTube videos? <laughs> well, it's funny because I still don't see myself as a YouTuber. Okay. Because I don't do YouTube full time. I still do YouTube probably two, or two days a week, two and a half okay. days a week. Oh, you're a part-time YouTuber. So, yeah, I'm literally <laughs> a part-time YouTuber. Um, I don't know when I decided, hey, you know, I can just start doing YouTube videos. I think it is just because uh, I know the thing that you like to always say is you need to be consistent if you want to build mm. a YouTube channel. You need to consistently post. Yeah. But for me, it wasn't like that. For me, I was posting whenever I just wanted to post. I didn't have a schedule. Okay. I maybe post two videos a week, some, and then I might not post for like a month because I was still running other parts of my business. But as YouTube started growing and as, as the income started growing from YouTube, I realized, hey, I'm onto something here. And I started dedicating more time to it. And that's why now I dedicate two days a week to it. But I don't ever see YouTube becoming a full-time thing for me. Ideally, I don't actually want it to be. Okay. Mainly because I like doing other stuff. I like starting other businesses. I like running other businesses. Um, I, I, I just can't see myself doing YouTube full-time. Okay. How, how did you get your first, let's say, 1,000 1, to 10,000 subscribers? Through Instagram. Okay. So on Instagram, if we go back a bit, 
on Instagram, I was posting pictures of setups and products and things like that. Um, and I was growing very quickly on Instagram. Instagram algorithm at the time was very favorable to me. I was gaining around 10,000 followers a month at one point, Wow, which is just crazy. I don't think I've yeah. ever had a month on YouTube where I've gotten 10,000 subscribers. Um, but yeah, from there, it just, I, I started directing people yeah. and being like, hey, come to my YouTube channel. I've, got, I've uploaded a video there. And I realized from doing that, that I enjoyed making videos. I enjoyed yeah. doing all the stuff that goes into videos. And also realized that, hey, I can make quite a bit more money on YouTube compared to Instagram. And I also realized that Instagram was sort of, they changed the algorithm, they changed the way things work. Instagram is not the same as it was 2015. 2015, all you could do on Instagram was post photos, I think. You couldn't post videos, you couldn't post, I don't think you could even post portrait photos. Mm. I think it was still square. Um, and yeah, so, that, so I focus a lot more on YouTube now compared to any of my other social okay. channels. Yeah, so if we, it's it sounds like the the trajectory of things from like twenty ten to twenty fifteen ish was, you you find this thing that you enjoy, i.e. product design and this sort of aesthetic. You post about it alongside like phone customizations and stuff on the blog. You start posting on the blog consistently. The Tumblr theme thing sort of is a bit of a side gig that's not fully related to that, but I suppose your aesthetic kind of comes into that as well. I think one thing we didn't talk about yeah. was, in that time, I'd say between twenty thirteen and twenty. 17, 20, yeah, 20, I, I was doing a lot of client work as well. Client work? So, well, what were you doing for clients? For example, designing websites, designing apps, things like that. Okay. Um, and that also came about because I was obviously customizing my Android phone. So yeah. To customize your Android phone, yep. you have to go into Photoshop and you have to mess around with graphics and UI elements and mm. stuff like that. And again, it's just another thing I enjoyed doing. And over time, I grew. I got the confidence of like, hmm, maybe I can charge money for this. Maybe I can, maybe I can, you know, post my my designs online and see if anyone hires me. And I used to post on a website called Dribble. Oh yeah. So Dribble was very popular from like 2012 to 2015, 2016 time, um, and I got a lot of lot of, a lot of clients through Dribble. Okay. So, and they were all very. I say all. Most of them were quite high paying clients. So. I had the Tumblr theme going, I had the blog going, and I was doing design work. So I had a good sort of three, four income streams there, hmm. doing all sorts of stuff. And I enjoyed doing all of it. Yeah. <laughs> I just enjoyed doing all of it. I wasn't always busy because I didn't have client work all the time. But the client work, it was great. Like I enjoyed doing stuff for other for other companies and, and just having that experience. Okay. And it sounded like it, it all sort of stemmed from this decision in 2010 to post on a blog. Yeah. yeah. Um, because one thing I often say to people is that like starting a blog can literally change your life. Yeah. And that and seems like that's been the case for you. I'm probably one of the best cases of that, right? <laughs> nice. Okay. So going back to the story. So we're, we're 2015 at this point. You've got your blog. You've got your Tumblr themes that are selling. You've got your client work that's on the side. You've got your Instagram and you've just started YouTube. Yeah. What does kind of Olier's empire look like for the next, <laughs> for the next few years? So... From 2015 to 2019, I was going to the office every day. Okay. Um, is it 2019? Yeah, I was pretty much going to the office every day. Um, but in 2017, I bought my own house. I purchased my own house. And ever since I bought my own house, I was sort of splitting the time between the office and home. Mainly because, this is going to sound so ridiculous, but it was half an hour commute. Right. And I just thought, hey, I could do a lot of my work at home. Yep. I don't need to go to the office because at home, it's just me. There's no one to disturb me and I don't have any sort of distractions from family or anything. So 
yes it's sort of those sort of years I was doing the same sort of stuff I was doing themes I was doing design work I was doing YouTube and Instagram mm. and stuff but I also started a Shopify store I started ulex.com mm. um, ulexstore.com in 2017 2016 2017 okay. I was experimenting with Shopify at the time I actually started a few Shopify stores because yep. um, drop shipping was a big thing at the time Okay. and I started doing drop shipping just to see what it's like and I realised drop shipping it, 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 at the time it was a bit of a I feel like it got a bad rep. Okay, so for, for people who might be listening who don't know what Shopify or dropshipping are, what how would you describe those things? So Shopify is just a, the platform. So you use Shopify to sell products online, physical products online. And then dropshipping is when you have products on your store, but then you don't actually have the products in stock with you. You have someone else send the products, maybe a factory in China or a factory in the UK or a manufacturer, or it could just be old Jim who lives down the road and makes makes leather wallets in his little shed or whatever. Mm. You know, he you would just send the order to to that person to the dropshipper, and they would send the order directly to the customer. So there's no, you don't have to get involved with the actual product management and shipping the product. You're sort of just making the sale, getting the customer. Okay, so customer buys from your site, but what the customer probably doesn't realize is that behind the scenes. Jim has got his collection of leather goods yeah. and Jim is the one sending him the thing. Yes. But it's as if you're the one sending him the exactly. thing. Exactly. Okay. Which, which how is does, actually... How does, how does that work? Like, why, why does that work? So, it's funny because I feel like dropshipping gets a bad rep because mm. of long shipping times and things like that. But what I think a lot of people don't realise is that every single major company in the world, apart from Amazon, does dropshipping. Even Apple does dropshipping. Wait, how, how so? Because Apple obviously have a f- f- fulfilment centre in Ireland, for example, um, for the UK. And that's where all the products are shipped from. And that fulfillment center might not actually be run by Apple. It might mm. be run by a completely third party. Yeah, when I get Apple products, they're from like Synchtron or some, some exactly. company like that. I'm like, it's, what the hell is Synchtron? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. it's, just a, it's just a third party handling all the logistics and the, and the shipping and everything for Apple. And that's a very common thing, okay. which people don't seem to realize. Drop shipping isn't a new thing. It's been around for decades. It's been around for right. a long time. Because I guess when you hear dropshipping, you think scam. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> so, the problem. Yeah. Which is such a shame. It's like it's like the word entrepreneur now. It's yeah, like, it's just a bit cringe, yeah. Right? Same with dropshipping. I think that's exactly what's happening. Okay. So you were uh, one of the OG, well, I guess 2017 wasn't really OG, but like uh, you, you were- I was you were dabbling in it. Dabbling in dropshipping. And I was making maybe a couple of thousand dollars a month, but it wasn't very profitable and it wasn't a good business. Okay, how, how, so how, how are you making a couple of thousand dollars a month from dropshipping? <laughs> like, what, what, what does that look like? <laughs> so a couple of thousand dollars a month. Because that seems pretty good. Yeah, it is yeah. pretty good. Um, but it wasn't very profitable. Oh, as in revenue-wise yeah. as opposed to profit-wise? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, so what sort of stuff were you selling? So it would have been like MacBook sleeves and, and felt desk mats and things like that. Okay. Um, you know, I had, I, I'd buy them from China or whatever. But I realized that doing dropshipping like that, the shipping times were just way too long for customers. Mm-hmm. So... I took it a step further and I thought to myself, hey, why don't I, I have the space, I have this this office space, I can store the products here. So I would bulk buy products, like any normal retailer, like any normal business, I'd bulk buy the products, I'd store them in my office space and we would send them out from here. We would send them to customers in the UK, in the EU and the US because it's much quicker than having a supplier in China do it for us. Okay, so you would buy like a thousand units in bulk of like a MacBook sleeve exactly. from China, exactly. store them in your house slash office yeah. <laughs> and physically like ship them to people around the exactly. world. Exactly, because you have a lot more control over the customer service and, yeah. and the sort of the way the business works. 
Um, it's also quite a bit more profitable because obviously you're buying products in bulk rather than buying each time a customer buys. Okay. So you're selling the stuff on a Shopify store and how did, how did things grow from that kind of 2017 onwards? So I realized that, hey, you know, I'm making money. And I, if we go back to your question about how was I making the money, mm. I was marketing it mainly through my Instagram profile. Yep. I'd post the products on my Instagram profile and I'd have followers and stuff who were interested in buying it. You know, that's how it started. With dropshipping and stuff, I realized, hey, you know, if I want to make more money, if I want to do this properly, I need to start designing my own products. Mm. So I started designing my own products in Photoshop, in Sketch, just literally writing down on paper if I have to. And I would come up with other products that I like the look of, put it all together in like a, a PDF document, send it off to a manufacturer in China. And I'd be like, hey, can you make this? Can you make this for me with my logo on it? Yep. Um, it's, it's funny because it sounds very like half arse in a way, but it's a very common thing that most people do. But um, So you can just do that. You can just design something on a napkin and send it to someone in China and yeah. they will be like, yes, They'll try and our, our factory can make this for you. Exactly. That's pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, I think the toughest part of it is you do need capital, obviously, because to buy a thousand units, um, to buy sample products, it does cost a lot of money. And like a sample can cost anywhere between a hundred to like a thousand dollars, for example, because they're only making one unit. Mm. And sometimes they have to adjust the tooling, adjust the manufacturing, all that sort of stuff to just make a sample. Yep. But then once you've made a sample and you're happy with it, you make a bulk order. Sometimes they actually take off the sample fee, which is pretty nice. Can anyone just do this? Like, is there a website that you go on where you can just like find a factory in China to make a thing for you? Like, yeah, how, so how does it work? There's a website I feel like most people know of yeah. who are in that sort of world called Alibaba.com, where you can go to and you can find manufacturers and stuff. And you can work with them and making your own custom products. So do you like ring them up or have a Zoom call? How, how, do, yeah. how, do, how does that actually work? Like if I, let's say I wanted to design the perfect backpack for my everyday carry, sure. which is the thing I want to do at some point, sure. you know, perfectly sized for a 13 inch MacBook, I'd 11 inch iPad. That, you know. that would be, that would be really cool. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what would that process look like? And I'm sure. like, I, I have a vision for like the perfect backpack. So like I said, the first thing you need to do is come up with a sketch, come up with any features that you like, come up with anything that you'd want in the backpack, any sort of um, key requirements that you want. Look at other backpacks you like the look of, um, take the best bits of them, and then mix and mash them together, almost. Mm. Send that off to a manufacturer. You go on Alibaba, you can put in an RFQ, which is request for quote. Okay. And you upload your design file or designs or whatever. You tell them the measurements, the materials that you like. And then you usually have like a bunch of supplies get back in touch with you. And then from there, you do have to spend quite a bit of time researching each supplier, seeing what other products they've made in the past, seeing if they have any products that are similar to what you've already made. Because obviously, if they have made similar products, it's going to be much easier working with them in making the product that you want. Okay. And what, what does like working with them look like, like on a day-to-day -day basis? Do you like go to China and talk to them? How how do, how does how does that how does that pro like? I literally know nothing about what it's like to. Sure. So I'm a complete noob about this. So I've never been to China in my life. Okay. It's all done online and it's all done on Alibaba.com. You can even have the orders done through there. Okay. And Alibaba provide like protection. Yeah. Almost. So, say you order ten thousand dollars worth of stock, and it doesn't meet the spec that you sent to them. Say there's something off. You can get you can sometimes get your money back. It really depends. It can it can depend. Um, and yeah, it's all just done through Alibaba. You can talk just through them. DMs? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. You can send them, like, if you have Slack or WhatsApp, you can send them your contact details and you can talk to them through there as if like they're a friend. But obviously, 
the biggest issue with that is that there is a language barrier. Of course, they do speak the Chinese, most of them, and they sometimes have a, a rep who can speak English. But even then, it's quite it's quite broken English. Mm. Sometimes you get some people who are great who can speak English very well, but some people are quite broken English. And again, it's just something you have to work through and figure out. Okay. So how long did it take from like kind of idea for designing a product to getting a sample in your hand from a factory in China oh, for you? Good question. Good question. So designing a product, coming up with the designer stuff can maybe take me a couple of days because usually these product designs just come along randomly. I'm like, hey, I want to make this product. Designing it, whatever, two or three days. Sending it off on Alibaba, looking for a manufacturer. That can take maybe a week or two figuring out who to make a sample with, who, who should make your sample. And then getting a sample made can sometimes take up to 60 days. It can take a long time, two months. And then once you're ha happy with the sample, because maybe you're not happy with the first sample, you might have to get another one made. Mm. So it means another two months. But once you're happy with the sample, again, it can be anywhere between 60 to 120 days until you actually get the products in, in your hands. Okay. And do you ever have to worry about quality control for the samples, uh, for, for, the, for the bulk order? Yeah, of course, of course. So there are different ways you can do this. You can hire a third party in China to check the products for you, or you can just have the manufacturer send you pictures and stuff, see what the products are like. Um, there's always risk involved mm. as with anything like this. There's always risk. Um, but it's just one of the things of making products online, yeah. making physical products. What's been the biggest kind of... Uh, mistake slash downslide slash like bad thing that, that has happened to you as a result of trying to sell physical <laughs> stuff online. Yeah, I, I've actually shared this in a video before. I can't remember the exact amount that I lost, but I think it was, oh, I can't remember. I can't remember if it was 10. I know I've lost more than $10,000. I think it was maybe $30,000, something like that, where I bought some stock and it wasn't up to scratch and I just couldn't get a refund. Mm. I went through the bank, I went through Alibaba and... I, I couldn't sell these products. Like they worked and everything, but the logo just wasn't right. It just didn't look good enough. Yep. So I, it was you just have to shame. write it off. Yeah, <laughs> I just had to write it off. I literally had to throw it in the bin, which yeah. is such a shame because it's a waste of resources, it's a waste of money, and it's a waste of materials. Like it's just also not very good for the planet either. Mm. So um, that's probably one of the biggest things. And thankfully, that's never ha happened since because I've learned nice. my lesson. Okay. Uh, what, what what lesson was that? <laughs> I think it was just a matter of being a lot more, giving a lot more attention to the samples, giving a lot more attention to the bulk order, yep. making sure they send me high resolution pictures of the bulk order. Yep. Of like maybe uh, maybe I get them to send me pictures of like five or six items yep. in the bulk order just to see what they look like and making sure that the spec I've written is as detailed as it can possibly be hmm. because then... I can go to Alibaba and be like, hey, you know, look, they haven't followed the spec. So they haven't made the product okay. to, what I, to my requirements. I want my money back. Oh, and you can just like say to the factory, hey, I want photos. And they'll be like, all right, here you go. Yes, most, most factories, <laughs> most good factories anyway, yeah. would be happy to send you photos. And they'll even send you photos, if you like, of the inside of the factory. Yep. So you can see working conditions and things like that. Make sure, you know. It, things are things are up to scratch and that there's no children working in there, for yeah, example. Because I know obviously that can be a big thing yeah. when working with manufacturers. And you just got to hope, you know, unless you can visit the factory yourself, you just got to hope that there are children working there. And Alibaba usually does vet all the manufacturers that they have on their website um, to make sure, obviously, that they meet the the rules and the laws that mm. are in place. Okay. So how, if, you, if, you, if you're open to sharing, how profitable is it to run a sort of physical products business? 
that menu where you design stuff, manufacture it in China, bring it back to the UK and ship it from yeah. the UK. It, what, it, what does that look like? It can really, really vary. It can really, really vary. So, um, you know, it can be anywhere between like maybe 5% profit margins to like 60, 70%. I've seen some businesses that make 60, 70% profit margins because maybe they already, for example, like you, already have an audience. So they don't need to spend money on like marketing, for example, because marketing, I think, is the biggest expense for any any business which is selling products, mm. physical products. Um, so yeah, it can vary a lot. Okay, so if I wanted to make the sort of work with you to design this like perfect backpack, yeah. that would fit my everyday carrier, I could take the office every day, maybe in three different colors, and then spin up a Shopify store, pitch it to the audience. Sure. What do you think will, what would be your estimate of like ballpark costs and how much can we sell this for? Like what would that look like if we were constructing a business out of this? Again, it just varies so much. It depends on backpack materials, the spec of the backpack, pockets and whatever. Okay. But let's just say, let's just say you wanted a quite a high cost. Yeah, I want something sort of peak design style slash yeah. like, you know, high end. I think it would cost you anywhere between 20 to $50 per unit. Oh, okay. So per unit. Yep. And then... Like, S- sell it for like $200 per unit. <laughs> exactly. I, th- I think that's yeah. a big surprise a lot of people do- seem to have. They think, oh, you know, iPhones cost $200, $300 to make, but then they sell them for $1,000. I think a lot of people don't realize that's just the material cost. Yep. There's so much cost involved, for example, your time of making the backpack, logistics, shipping, because mm. most likely you're going to offer free shipping. Yeah. Shipping is expensive, man. Yeah. It's very, very expensive. <laughs> I feel like we've all gotten used to free shipping yeah. from Amazon, but Amazon, it costs them a lot of money. Yeah. But they've got a lot of efficient, efficient things in place. That's why they can do it. Yeah. But yeah, like I th- it's actually quite standard to see a $200, $250 backpack that only costs $50 to make. Okay. That's quite a, that's quite a standard thing. And so so $50 for the cost of the backpack, what would be the ballpark costs for the other stuff associated with selling a backpack on the internet? I, I, I don't know really with ballpark costs, to be honest, because... Like shipping? How much how much does shipping cost? Like when you're selling when you're sending your stuff out? So, for example, sh- shipping a, a backpack, for example, to someone in the US can cost us like $30, $40. Bloody hell, okay. Exactly. <laughs> More than the actual product itself. Yeah. Which is... Very common. Okay. Very, very common thing. And then I guess if you're running ads and things, then it, that, all, really it all adds up. Yeah. But the nice thing about ads is you can really track the ROI, return on investment yeah. of the ads. Yeah. So you would you would hope that you can spend, let's say, 10000 a month, put it on your American Express, get the points, and you, you will literally see a return of maybe 30000 a month from those ads. 30000 is is on the high end. Okay. So a good ballpark is is like around two. So for every dollar you spend, you make $2. But again, it very much de- depends on the product. Mm. So, for example, say you're selling an, an electric scooter, that's $1,000. You know, the ROI on that could be around one or well, two or three. But because the product is a lot more expensive, spending $500 on an ad to make $1,000, you made a $500 profit there or $500 margin, which is obviously like, say, 10, 20 iPhone cases or even more, mm. they were like, you know, 50 iPhone cases. So, yeah, like it just varies so much from product to product. Okay. So you, you started this thing in, in, in 2017. What are, what are things looking like now with the physical products that you're, that you're selling? What does the store look like? So in the last year, um, you know, with ULXstore.com, we generated a million dollars, over a million dollars, um, which is obviously like for me, that's amazing. Like that's a crazy amount of money to make yeah. in a business. I've never had a business which has made that much money in, in 12 months. Um, so yeah, like it's, it's doing pretty well, but, um, again, I don't focus my full time on it. Luckily I have three other people working on that business. Mm. So they manage it for me. I have 
Charlie, obviously doing the operations, doing the shipments, customer service, stuff like that. I have um, Ivan, who's doing product sourcing, product management, because obviously talking to ma- talking to manufacturers, talking to people on WhatsApp and Skype mm. takes up a lot of time, and it's something that I outsource to him. Mm. He works full time, and then I have a guy um, in New Zealand who's doing my advertising for me, marketing, Facebook, Instagram, advertising, stuff like that. Okay, that's pretty cool. And so, what does your like right now? We're in, we're in 2021. What does your sort of your your empire look like? You've got you've got the store. What else? What else do you do you have in your? I've got the YouTube channel. Yep. Um, I've got, I guess, digital products on my website. Things like um, Lightroom presets and um, wallpapers mm. and icons and stuff. You know, they, they don't make an absolute ton of money. Well, I say they don't make a ton of money. They yeah. still make quite good money. Around, you know, it can be well, it can vary. So when I was doing the icons, for example, remember when I, iOS fourteen icons yeah. really blew up? Um, you know, I was making tens of thousands a month. Um, so yeah, it can vary so much, but icons and digital products, I sometimes take on client work. So consulting, you know, someone might hire me for even just half an hour mm. and cause they want feedback on a product or they want feedback on their business or whatever. Yep. Um, and I can hopefully provide some value to them. Um, and that's it right now, I think. Yeah. Okay. What's next for you? Like, how do you how do you how do you think about what you want to do next? Because you've got like a pretty comfortable sort of suite of products. Yeah, you could sit back and essentially live off this for sure. the foreseeable future. Sure. How do how do you think about what, what what to do next? So I think at some point I would like to sell ulexstore.com. I'd like to sell it um, mainly because I think my interest in doing physical products has has sort of shifted quite a bit. I realise that I want to do. Um, more, I feel like I want to start, start a software as a service business. I don't know what yet. I'm trying to dabble in some ideas. Um, I think that's my next step: doing software as a service, and of course, going to YouTube, posting mm. on YouTube and stuff. Um, because I think it's always nice to have an audience that you can speak to, that you can share things with. Yeah, awesome. So we've talked a lot about kind of the business side of life. I wonder if we can talk about some personal stuff. Sure. Um, and so, was it a year ago? that or longer than that that you got first first diagnosed with with cancer oh yeah <laughs> what, was the, so, what was the story there it's august 3rd now yeah so i was diagnosed july 7th last year 2020 yeah so sort of peak cancer. peak lockdown yeah and yeah. so it's funny because i had to, I, I think i've spoken to, to you about this before i had symptoms since like april mm. and it was since i came back from la when I came back from being in LA. Um, and I think the first symptom was just lower back pain. I had a lot of lower back pain. I thought at first it was sitting at a computer all day. Yep. You know, we both sit at a computer all day, just having a bad back, not sitting properly. Yep. That's what I thought it was at first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just positions, yeah. Just our position, not yeah. slouching. Um, but it, it just didn't get better. And it was a very weird sort of ache and pain. Went to my doctors and stuff, went to A&E and stuff. And they thought it was like kidney stones or whatever. They didn't find anything. And then it went. It went for a little while. And then um, July, I woke up one morning and I just found it very difficult to breathe. And I was like, what's going on here? I thought, hey, you know, why am I out of breath? It's like, it's like you know, when you go for a very intense sprint, like yeah. a run, a sprint. Yep. And then you suddenly stop and you have to like bend over yeah. and like take your breath. Yeah. That's what it was like on a Monday morning. Bloody hell. That must have been scary. Yeah, it, it was. <laughs> it was very scary because I was just like, I, I was just like, what the hell? I can't speak. Yeah. Um, so an ambulance came, a lot of drama, an ambulance came, picked me up, took me to the hospital. 
they did a bunch of tests and stuff. And the first thing they found was that I had two blood clots, two um, pulmonary embolisms, yeah. one in each lung. Um, I was just like, what? Um, and they asked me, had I traveled recently? And I go, yes, I had been to LA. Um, so they think, well, part of the reason why I had the blood clots was because I was on a 12 hour flight and I didn't get up once in that mm. flight. I didn't even go to the toilet. So blood pools in your feet, it doesn't go up through your body. But over time, that, those blood clots have obviously come up and been introduced into mm. my lungs. But what was also another factor in having those blood clots was the lumps in my lungs that I had from the cancer. So I had 12 lumps in my lungs. 12? 12. 12 lumps in my lungs. There were The biggest was around 18 millimeters in my lungs. <laughs> yeah, they were sort of just all spread around my lungs and stuff. Um, and obviously that was making it difficult for the blood to go through my lungs. Yeah. So I asked my doctor, well, my oncologist, how long do you think I've had the cancer for? And he goes, we think you might have had it for around 12 months. And I was like, what? Whoa. I was like, because I, I had no other symptoms. Really. Yeah. Um, you know, because I, I, usually I think with testicular cancer, everyone expects like you're down there to mm. become enlarged. Or mm. like, it wasn't like that for me. I had a different type. And yeah, so like July 7th, I was diagnosed. Um, I was in the hospital for like two days, three days. Okay. And then I started chemo on the last week of July. Yeah, last week of July. So within three weeks, I was on chemo. I was doing chemotherapy. What did that feel like when you... Because you're you're like young. You're like, you would have been like 27 at the time. And I'm imagining like if we had a 27-year-old on the ward who's come in with shortness of breath and we're like, oh, they've got two pulmonary embolisms. Oh, and also they've got 18 <laughs> sort of... <laughs> 18 metastases are from a testicular <laughs> cancer primary 12, 12, 12, 12, yeah. sorry, 12. <laughs> like in in their lungs it's just absolutely mind-blowing yeah. as the doctor on the other end like what what was it like for you as as the patient I, I think that was the shock the other doctors had like just like you said yeah. you know doctor seeing all that were like what the hell how did yeah. this happen um honestly at the time i was just like what at, at yeah. the time i was just like is this really happening to me yeah. because um I was fit and healthy. Before I got my cancer, I was actually probably in the best shape I had ever been. Better shape than when I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. Going to the gym four or five times a week, I was eating properly. You know, I was quite slim. Um, I wasn't absolutely shredded or ripped, but I was just in very good shape. And that's what shocked me even more because I was like, you know, <laughs> how, how, how do you even get this? Yeah. So like, the first thing I did was I researched an absolute ton. I spoke to doctors, I, spoke, I looked online, I looked at all the different things. And getting testicular cancer is literally just almost like a random yeah. generator. Yeah. Like it is completely random. There's no, there's no things that cause it. The only thing I think people say that cause it is maybe if you've had it previously in family, but none of my family have ever had it. Mm. No one in my family has ever had it, that type of cancer. So yeah, like for me, I was just like, okay, uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what to do. I don't even know what's, what's next. I did very much sort of take, I took the week sort of just week by week because I knew, mm. okay, I've got to do this week of chemo. I've got to do this, this, I've got to do that. Yeah. Um, and I kind of just thought to myself, especially looking at all the studies of testicular cancer, seeing that is crazy to say it's the best cancer to have. Yeah. Have cancer. <laughs> That's often how you describe right. testicular cancer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because it's, it's the most curable. Yeah. I think it's the only cancer that's curable as well. There are mm. no other types of cancer that, that are. Um, so I was obviously quite positive about it in that way too. At the same time, I was like hysterical, crying and whatever, you mm. know, because who wouldn't? If you get if you get told you have cancer, you're like, what? Yeah. How can this happen to me? So 
Yeah, I was just taking it week by week, pretty much. Okay. Yeah, that's just like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't even even begin to imagine what that what that, what that was like for you. Yeah. I messaged you. You did, yeah. I messaged you, and I because I can't remember why I messaged you or what. Yeah, I, I can't remember why I messaged you or what I messaged you about because obviously I was very emotional at the time. Yeah. I remember. I, I think I was telling you I was just really angry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked about this at the time. Because like I was just like, how did it not get caught earlier? I think that was my biggest issue. Like because obviously I went to. A&E, yeah. I went to hospital in April with the lower back pain. How did they not catch it then? Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just crazy to think about it now. So what was the experience of, of starting chemo like? Oh, chemo is the worst thing I can... Uh, it's the worst thing to describe. I feel like... Oh, I don't really know how to explain it. It's like being a zombie. Okay. It is like being a zombie. It's like... It's like... You, you have this body and you have this brain that you can't control, but you still, you can still understand what's going on, but you can't control anything. Like I couldn't, I couldn't even look at a TV. I couldn't look at my phone. I couldn't look, I couldn't focus. I couldn't drive. I couldn't do anything when I was on chemo. It, it was just nice. It is literally just walking like you're half dead. That's the, that's the only way I can explain it. People obviously say chemo is hell, but it, honestly, like it's, it's. It's worse than like you can even think it is. Like it's it's okay. awful. It's awful. <laughs> so it's fair to say you won't want to do it again. <laughs> no, 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 100%, 100%. Not unless obviously I have to. Yeah. So how long? How long? How long were you in zombie mode for? So I had I had ten weeks of chemo, um, and it was in three cycles. Four, yeah, three three and a half cycles, sort of. So I'd go in for the first week, and I'd go in for three days, eight hours a day. Oh. So I would be sitting there with a drip in me, um, IV or whatever you call I don't know what their technical term is. All my, all of my arms were just ruined from all of it. But I'd have the machine just pumping the fluids through me eight hours of the, eight hours of the day. The second and the third week, I would just go in once, um, once a week for around two or three hours. Um, and then I'd repeat the cycle again, you know, eight hours a day for three mm. days for the, for the next cycle. And then two weeks what were the conversations with the other patients like so i was by far the youngest patient there yeah i was by far everyone there was much older than i was but honestly uh, the people who took care of me they were amazing mm -hmm. because i don't know how they do it day in day out mm. but they're the happiest people ever they, they literally keep you happy they literally mm. keep you keep you positive and all the people there as well like the because obviously everyone's a lot older than me 60s 70s 80s sort of people and everyone, it's almost like a big family because mm. Every, everyone's going through the same thing. Everyone, obviously everyone's got different types of cancer, but yeah. everyone's going through the same thing of just sitting in a chair, yep. having chemo. And it's interesting hearing their stories because obviously they have a lot more life experience than I do. Yeah. So there's so many interesting stories. I feel like old people always have the best stories, yeah. right? They always do. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's, it's unusual to spend eight hours sitting next to a random old person yeah. and well, like talking about their lives. This is the other thing because my cancer was spread so so far and was so bad. I, I was only one, I was one of the only people there that would actually stay eight hours. Some of the other people would come and go. Okay. So I, most of the time, I actually wouldn't have the same person sat next to me. Okay. So maybe halfway through the day, there'd be someone else who comes to sit next. Okay. To me who's coming in for their treatment? So I met so many different people. It was it was, it was great. I say it was great. Obviously, it's yeah. Not great. <laughs> but it was great speaking to all these people and just socializing with them. So what's that like? What, what is the social etiquette around? Someone sits next to you in the chemo chair. 
Is it like a bus where you or a, a bit on the, on the underground where you're not going to make no. eye contact? Is it like an aeroplane? Like what? How? <laughs> what? What does it look like? Everyone says hello. Everyone's okay. like, "Hey, how's it going?" And everyone, the first question they ask each other is, um, "What are you here for?" Okay. What's your cancer? Yeah. What's your chemo like? You know, what's your treatment like? Okay. And there are obviously the the most common question I got was, "How old are you?" Yeah. Because I was just I just looked like a young yeah. person to be there. So you would say twenty seven slash twenty eight. I was twenty seven. How how would people respond to that? People just feel sorry. Yeah. <laughs> People just feel sorry for me. They're like, "Oh, you poor thing. Yeah. Oh, you don't deserve this or yeah. sort of stuff." And I was yeah. like. Uh, obviously it's like it's really nice because yeah. all these old people like they treat you as if like they're your son mm. I mean, you're their son even mm. um you know they, they treat you as if you know that they, they need to take care of you in a way yeah which is nice because like you know it's nice having all this support from all these just strangers right? yeah. people who just who just want to see you get through it yeah which is great because because you don't you sort of strike me as similar to me in that i feel like you're not big on sharing your emotions and getting emotional support from other people generally no, correct me oh you are okay I so i guess you just of... don't see it online yeah i guess <laughs> the, that's that's not really the the persona that you no I, I i can understand that especially on my youtube channel yeah i think i, f- I feel like you put I... you, you 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 put across a very like put together like yeah. i think it'd be quite interesting seeing when people watch this yeah because i feel like this is a lot more casual yeah you're more smiley here than yeah. i've ever seen you on your youtube <laughs> yeah, channel right. yeah i know that, and that we're just... talking and we're talking about you having cancer <laughs> so. so true yeah i think I think I definitely am an, uh, am an emotional person, for okay. sure. Um, but I was really lucky to have people, friends around me at the time for emotional support mm. and like supporting me and stuff, making sure I was okay. Mm. I had friends vis- like trying to visit me. Obviously, at the time, I had to be very careful because COVID was going around. Yeah. And when you have chemo, your white blood cells just disappear, right? Mm. So I couldn't see anyone really, but people would call me, people would Facebook time me, message mm. me. They would always ask how I was. They would, and I remember before I actually started the chemo, I literally had all of my friends and family all come and visit me in like three weeks. Like mm. People I hadn't, hadn't seen for years had come and see me. And it was just nice. It was mm. nice having that support. And it was nice like just knowing that I can call any of these people and be like, yeah. hey, I need this. And they would be there for me. It was great. Sick. What, uh, what sort of life lessons do you learn from the old people that you were, you were chatting to in that time? If any. <laughs> I feel like old people love imparting wisdom on younger people. So I, course, I imagine you would, have, you would have got a lot of that. Well... I think I was lucky in a way where most of the people that I spoke to, um, they were just very much just like happy-go-lucky. Okay. They were just like, do whatever the hell you want because they're literally, like everyone says, life is just too short. Like, you know, if everything is too serious, everything is too, too re- like, if you take everything too seriously, nothing is fun. Enjoy, like, you know, just enjoy as much as you can. And I think I, I was like that anyway, luckily. I think I, I, I'm already in that sort of, mindset of hey you know i'm in a very fortunate position where i get to do stuff that i enjoy already for work mm. i just happen to also make money with it that's the great thing and you know i live comfortably and stuff and i enjoy myself i see friends and family i socialize like look i'm here with you socializing you know i enjoy this sort of stuff i enjoy i enjoy socializing with people and hanging around with other people um and i feel like that's what a lot of these older people taught me having experiences with other people and just taking things as they go pretty much okay and I think that's also why with the cancer, I'm just like, hey, I've done it now. It's done. Like, I've, I've completed it. It was just another another section of my life. Yep. I never saw it as like, oh, my God. Like, you know, I do sometimes think to myself, think to myself oh, my God, I can't believe I did that. But I was like, hmm, that was a good experience. <laughs> so, <laughs> Don't want to do it again. So, yeah, but <laughs> Yeah, exactly. How do you think about the balance between 
live every day as if it's your last versus kind of the more think about the long term? I think, I think it's good to have a mix of both. I think a lot of people think, oh, you need to have one or the other. No, 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 no. I think it's important to have a mix of both because you don't want to, for example, I know people say, oh, you know, when you're young, you should, you should enjoy yourself, spend all your money, you know, get drunk, eat whatever you want. But, you know, what if when you're 50, 60 years old and you start having health issues, what if you don't have enough money for retirement? Mm. You've got to think about both. You've got to have a good balance of, of, of the two, I think. And I've found from, you know, things like being in, just going to the gym, I wouldn't say, you know, I'm like properly in shape, but I, I try to, I try to be, and I try to eat healthy. And like we were talking this morning, I don't drink coffee really. Um, because I, I, I want to just be able to be 50, 60 years old and be like, oh, you know, I'm still, I'm still fine. I'm still going through life completely fine. I'm still fit as a fiddle. I'm still doing whatever I want to do. And I don't have any other sort of health issues. So you don't drink either? No, I don't drink alcohol. Yeah. And I, I guess like when, when a lot of young people hear that someone is teetotal, they think, oh, oh well, aren't, aren't you sacrificing enjoyment oh of life? Oh my God, like, Yeah. <laughs> the amount of, amount of times where I've been to a restaurant or a bar and I've said, oh, I don't drink. And the looks I've gotten, people mm. are like, oh, you must be well boring or you must not mm. have had fun. I'm thinking like, <laughs> that actually says a lot about you because it means you have to get a bit drunk or a bit tipsy to have fun. Why yeah. can't you have fun as you are? Mm. Like, that's how I see it. Because I think, I think if you can't find a happiness in just like not having any sort of drugs in you, mm. then, you know, there's, there's another underlying issue there. Mm. Nice. So uh, other than, I mean, obviously going, going through the experience and it, it sounds like the cancer has taught you to, to double down on this thing of, enjoy every day on its own merit, but also think about kind of long-term stuff. Have you had any other kind of lessons that you've, that you've learned from it that you would kind of share with other people? I think the biggest, the biggest thing I've definitely learned from cancer is not giving, well, giving less of a shit, like mm -hmm. caring a lot less about what other people think and what other people say. That's why I shared the video of me sharing that I have cancer, because mm. I thought to myself, there are going to be some people who comment this, that, and the other saying that, hey, you know, you deserve to have it or some trolling or whatever. Yeah. But I know there's always going to be some people who are going to benefit from it. And, you know, there have been people, other people who have reached out to me where they're like, hey, I'm so glad you shared your cancer story because if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have, have discovered that I also have cancer and that I've, I wouldn't have known the symptoms. I wouldn't have known what, it, what it's like. So I've realised I just need to, yeah, like I realised I, I need to stop caring a lot less about what other people think and just do whatever I think is best. But I feel like you need to have a good balance there because also you don't want to come across as an asshole either, of course. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you don't want to be going around thinking you're you're all that basically. You wanna you wanna be able to have a good balance. Okay. So just in terms of like a, a a public health announcement, what what are the things that you would encourage people to be looking for with regards to testicular cancer slash any other <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I'm the right I'm, person because I mean, you've been through it. Like I, I know, but I've got a bullet point list from med school <laughs> that I barely remember, but yeah. But the thing with, with cancer and with cancer in general, obviously, it affects everyone differently. So the symptoms you might have are different. Um, I feel like I don't really want to say the symptoms on camera because sure. because mainly because some someone could have that symptom, but they actually might not have cancer. So I would just recommend, for example, going on an actual cancer research website or the NHS website and seeing the actual information on there because that's where I found the information that I needed. And that's how I realized, because I remember the day when I went to hospital and I remember sitting on that bed and them telling me I had cancer. 
I feel like I knew before then that I had it. Mm. All of the symptoms, all the things I, I had already read about and I had met basically the criteria. It was just a matter of having an actual doctor telling me that, hey, you've got it. I, I think it is literally just a matter of taking care of yourself and, and just looking mm. at proper official yeah. medical websites for nice. <laughs> sort of symptoms rather than some random Joe blogger. Yeah. <laughs> you know. how, how, how often do you do self-examination and stuff these days? self-examination yeah that's what we well clearly not often enough i do (laughs) do it maybe once every few months when i'm in the shower and i remember i it's it's often when i just sort of i just i just think of you and then i think i should do some self-examination guys ali's just mentioned to me that he thinks of me when he's some of the time maybe (laughs) maybe once every few months i don't know whether i should be impressed or disgusted but I mean, it's weird because like... Actually, I, should, I guess I should be proud of that because it means that yeah. I've had that impact on you, right? Yeah. I've had the impact on you where you're like, hey, my, you know, Ollie, my friend has, has had cancer. Maybe I should just check, yeah. you know? <laughs> Which I think, yeah. Maybe whoever's watching this, check yourself. <laughs> make sure you think of me as weird as that sounds. So I've got a few things I wanted to ask you specifically about. So you, you say quite a lot in your YouTube videos. Uh, words to the effect of, damn, I'm a lucky dude. I'm so grateful for the life I'm living. <laughs> um, I am honestly very, very grateful to be in the position yeah. I'm in. How, how much do you feel a luck has played a role in your success? So this is a weird thing mm. with luck because it's not a thing that you can measure. No. But I like the idea and the phrase that a lot of people say where you make your own luck. You put yourself in positions. You, you, you sort of um, try, try to make all these different things align to work together. And I, I think I think that's where maybe I've gotten a bit lucky. For example, I feel like I'm being unlucky here to be on the podcast with you, mm-hmm. to be on this video with you, because inevitably, also you have a lot more subscribers than I do. You have too many subscribers. Mm-hmm. I have like 200,000. I have the 10th that you do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, here I am because we get along, because we're good friends. Here I am. And hopefully some of the people who are going to be watching this are going to also come over to my channel. Yeah, everyone subscribe um, to Ollie, I'll link below. <laughs> yeah, definitely subscribe. Otherwise, I don't want to go yeah. <laughs> um, I think those sorts of things are a mix of luck and a mix of just being in the right yeah. position, right place. But that's also not really luck, though. That's like sort of... You see, this one, yeah, everyone it, has their own interpretation, right? Yeah. I guess the way that I that I think of it, it's, it's that luck is sort of two things number one is like how often do lucky events happen to you Mm. and then secondly what is your ability to capitalize on those lucky events and so i think for the first one how often do lucky events happen to you by sticking yourself on the internet you just 5000x the amount of lucky things that can happen to you just because more people know of you and more people are exposed to you and i've been following your videos for a long time and so when when we first, I, I, I don't know, I think it was sort of like Instagram DM or something. Well, no, no, this, this is the funny thing. I think you followed me before I even knew who you were. Yeah, I've been following you for ages. Which is just, <laughs> just kind of the vibe and the, the, yeah. the apartment setups and stuff. I, I think... My so, friends watch more of your videos than they do of mine because they're like, wow. oh my God, freaking love. <laughs> oh, you know, if you got that TV, you know, that LG sponsorship that Olio got, you, you should definitely get one of those. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. So the first time I came across you mm. was you actually left a comment on one of my videos. Oh, you left a comment on one of my videos, yeah. and then I went to your channel, yeah. and I just thought, "Hey, who's this Ali guy?" Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't really know who you were, and then I think you left another comment on one of my mm. videos, and I was like, "Oh, this this guy seems like a nice guy. Like mm. he's a YouTuber from the UK." And then 
I can't remember how we actually got yeah, I, don't, I don't know how we first connected. It must, it must have been Instagram DM. No, no, it wasn't. Cause I, no, because you don't follow me on Instagram, yeah, do you? I yeah. <laughs> I think it was Twitter. Oh, Twitter DM. Yeah, yeah it must have been that. Twitter DM. Yes. I think it was. Yeah. But I can't remember our first conversation, I'll be honest. I feel like it might have been around the cancer time. Really? Possibly. No, I don't no, know. because I had a call. We had a call. Yeah, we, we, we did have a call. And that was before. Was that before the cancer stuff? That was before because obviously I would have been like, hey, you know, oh, I can't remember. Oh, let's have a look. I think let's it was look. very, very close to the cancer stuff. <laughs> Going through old messages. Yeah. Oh, we have quite a lot of Twitter, Twitter DMs. Oh. <laughs> it was when you got the Tesla. And I'm, oh. I messaged you saying in November 2019 saying, did you get this as a business expense? I've been trying to research that side of things, but couldn't find much in the way of information. <laughs> yeah. And then we, we kind of got talking about your, your Tesla. And then six months later in May, you messaged me being like, enjoyed your video, surprised how much you earn, surprised you haven't got yourself a Tesla yet. Yeah. <laughs> and then we talked about Skillshare and about like sponsorships yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. It's um, so funny how things yeah. happen, isn't it? It's just so funny. <laughs> yeah, but so I think, uh, so kind of going back to this luck thing, it was like, you just, expose yourself in a non-weird way to luck by putting yourself on the internet. Yeah. And then you capitalize on lucky lucky breaks by just being a generally nice person and being kind of taking initiative and, and stuff. Um, at least that's kind of how I, how I think about it. Yeah. The, the thing with luck is as well is, I hate it when people say, for example, like you or, you or me, we've built our, our YouTube channels, we've built, we've built our online businesses from nothing. Mm. Like we, we've not had anyone Help us do those. Mm. Like, you haven't had any money injection, have you? No, but I had a huge unfair advantage of the whole like Cambridge thing, medicine thing. Like I, I was really leaning heavily on I, those I still don't think at the that's start. Lucky, though, because how many doctors mm. still just do uh, yeah, medicine? No, how many doctors are still doing whatever they do? Mm. Um, you still took that that step of putting yourself online, of start of teaching other people, of starting your med. Um, I remember I, I can't remember exactly what it's called, but you had yeah. like a you teach oh, yeah. medical students yeah, and stuff. That stuff. You, yeah, you did all that sort of stuff. Mm. A lot of people aren't going to bother to do that sort of stuff. Mm. And I feel like a lot, some people will say, oh, you, you're lucky to have this, you're lucky to have that. No, 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 no. Like, all of that sort of stuff came because you took that first step. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Because I'm yeah. sure you get a lot of messages, because I get these same, mm. sort of messages. Hey, how do I start my YouTube channel? Hey, yeah. how do I start my business? Hey, you know, and instead of, well, uh, you didn't ask anyone when you started, <laughs> what did you? I didn't yeah. ask anyone, oh, Hey, what do you think? Should I start a YouTube channel? Yeah, I did it because I just wanted to. Mm. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's what that, that's one of the keys that I hear from from al almost anyone. Whereby there are, there are so few people who kind of do something and it becomes successful with a kind of logical, strategic. I want to make money. I want to achieve this thing in the future. Therefore, I will do it. Steps A, B, C. Most people that I've spoken to who are kind of traditionally successful, it's been much more about let me do this thing because it seems cool and fun and interesting right now and. At the same time, it also seems a little bit sensible because like doing heroin is like fun, but you know, from what I've heard, but it's also kind of like, you, you know, no, it's, it's <laughs> um, we will keep that, keep that one on the DL. Um, but you know, stuff like starting a YouTube channel or starting a business, there is an element of, you know, this, this would be a sensible thing to at least try, but there's also a big element of this seems kind of cool. It seems kind of fun. And the people who can enjoy the journey are the ones who end up kind of reaching the destination. But I find that often, realize that actually it's not really about the destination it was actually more about the journey all along and yeah i agree because you i've always seen you say that online mm. it's not about getting to a destination because because once you're there you're always like oh what do i do now yeah you know you it very much is about the journey and i agree i agree with that statement because i think to myself hey you know i'm doing all this sort of stuff but what's the actual end goal here mm. i don't actually know i don't know what the end goal is i feel like 
what ends up happening is like you get a nice thing you get accustomed to that nice thing you're like okay i want the next nicer thing yep which is a very bad trap to fall into yeah and i think a lot of people do that and you have to sometimes put yourself back and think to yourself damn man i'm so lucky to have the house that i have or have mm. the car that i have and that's why i like you know i, I say i always like to say in my videos yep. <laughs> i'm lucky well i'm in a fortunate position to be able to have all these different things because yeah. there are so many people who don't there are so many people who who are still you know doing who are still living paycheck to paycheck mm. and stuff but i know for me for example if i lost all of my work if i lost all of my income and stuff i have enough money i have enough like savings and stuff where i could be jobless for like two or three years and mm. i'd be completely fine and unfortunately not everyone is in that same position mm. do you have any kind of gratitude meditation journaling type practice for this sort of stuff i don't have any sort of um like i don't write anything down I, 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 journaling i feel like is something i should really do because journaling is such a good way to see what you did on a specific day yeah. instead of all the days becoming a blur mm. but there are moments like where i'll just sit at my computer or i'll sit in bed it can be anywhere i'm just like man i'll just reflect i'll just be like yeah oh, but i'm just so lucky mm. i'm just so lucky to to do the things i do yeah to really not have many complaints especially when i see like other people other friends when i see you know when you see news story i feel like reading news online is probably not a good way good mental health mm. thing but you know even like for example with the black lives matter thing all that sort of stuff i think to myself man like there are some people going through some really hard stuff mm. and here i am like you know pretty easy yeah <laughs> like you know i'm just living quite comfortably like having a good time making yeah. youtube videos and like I, i wish everyone could experience the same thing i really i really wish everyone could If someone was in your position as a teenager who didn't want to go to university and they're struggling to find what to do, what would be your advice to them oh, for I whatever get, that's worth? I get this, I get, <laughs> I'm sure I get you do. this yeah. question. And it's a really, really difficult question to answer because it varies from person to person. If I could actually go back and do computer science at university, I would. Because it's what I enjoy doing. Mm -hmm. So finding that thing you enjoy I think is the tough part because a lot of people I don't think they they really know what they enjoy. Yep. Um in our sort of day and age you could say I sound like an old man saying that. <laughs> but you know you can you can literally find a career in playing computer games which yep. is just absurd. I'm when I was, I'm sure when you were a kid mm. when I was a kid playing computer games and making money that's the most craziest thing ever. Mm. Like who what? So it's hard. I I think it 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 is really hard question to answer. I don't have an answer mm. if I'm honest. Um, but I think it really is just a matter of finding what you love to do and seeing how you can monetize that thing. Yeah, the way I kind of think of this is that if you if you, if you can do that, then that's fantastic. Like if you genuinely find something that you love to do and can also monetize it, then you're you're kind of winning oh. winning already. The thing I often think about is what if like for the people who a don't really know what they love to do slash the thing they love to do, i.e., I don't know, baking or playing the guitar, <laughs> yeah. is a probabilistically unlikely thing to actually be able to make money from. Um, like people are unlikely to become the next John Mayer or to become the next insert baker name here. <laughs> um, and so in that in that context, often like, yeah, do you, how, how, how would you think about like if, if, if you knew someone who's in that position? Someone in that position, mm. I, I think I would tell them to try everything. Yeah, it's like da try. dabble with a lot of stuff. Yeah. Dabble with all sorts, sorts like types of jobs, mm. um, because especially when you're young, you're in a very good position. I think mm. when you're when you're when you're sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, even up, I feel I feel up to twenty five, even up to thirty, 
you can do so much you can do so many different things and I feel like you're most likely going to come across something mm. that you're like hmm I could see myself doing this in 10 20 years because I think that's an important thing for me as well whenever I do anything whenever I start anything I think to myself you know even if this didn't make a lot of money now could I still do it in five or ten years and if I can then I, then I, then I think okay I'm gonna do this because even if it doesn't make me money for the first year or two or even if it's not monetizable for however long as long as I can keep doing it as long as yeah. I can enjoy doing it then let's just see how it goes yeah that was a really good quote from uh, when uh, Marquez Branley was interviewed on the Y Combinator podcast uh, where he said that to be honest the secret to success is pick something and work on it for 10 years yeah, yeah <laughs> I agree and like if you genuinely if you, if you enjoy working on something for 10 years it is almost it, it's unfathomable that it wouldn't be successful in some way and <laughs> basically yeah. the, I can't remember is it like a thousand hours or ten thousand hours when you put ten thousand hours into yeah. something you're most likely like yeah pretty one percent pretty good at it. Yeah, yeah you're probably going to be one of the best in it mm -hmm. which makes a lot of sense because you know this is like going so like i was saying earlier i'm a big gamer mm. i like playing computer games a lot apex legends is one of my favorite games right mm. now you know i've invested 1500 hours into playing that game i say i'm pretty good you know for the nerds out there my kd is like five my win percentage is like 28 percent, something ridiculous like that um but like i think to myself you know if i if i kept playing if i kept putting more hours into that i could probably be one of the best in the world and with that i could naturally maybe make a youtube channel maybe mm. get into esports and stuff and that's again another great way to make money but you've just got to make that commitment like you like marquez was saying like you're mm. saying if you can see yourself doing it for 10 years and you do it for 10 years you're most likely going to be one of the best in it if you had 20 million in the bank and you never had to worry about money ever again what would you do if i had 20 million in the bank i still play games okay I'd still play computer games yeah do you mean work-wise i mean what i okay i let me be more specific like what would your day an an ordinary day in your life look like that is different to what it and and to what extent is that different from what it is now it's, it's a good question because mm. i think when you hear a lot of people who've made that sort of money their lives don't really change that much in terms mm. of what they do because they still keep doing what they were doing before but if i think of it from my position yeah. where i am right now I think to myself, I would probably still do, still be doing YouTube. Okay. I'd probably do more photography. Yep. I I would probably travel a bit more because I could afford to go first class everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and I would spend a lot more time with friends and family because, for example, David Dobrik, great example. He just goes out and buys cars for friends. I would absolutely love to just ask a friend and be like, hey, what do you need? Here's the money and instantly make their life better just because I could. Mm. Like something like that would be so gratifying for me. And I feel like that, that is literally what I try to do. Okay. And so, I mean, ap apart from that last bit around kind of buying fancy ass cars for your friends <laughs> and the bit about flying first class everywhere. Yeah. What's stopping you from doing the rest of it? Like right now? I think I do do quite a, quite a bit of it already. Okay. Like gaming, for example, investing, well, investing is not investing, just like playing 1500 hours yeah. of Apex over the last two years and I do it because I can like I'm in a position where I can I can mm. I can spend a few hours every day it's my way of focusing on something else because obviously when I'm playing this game I'm not thinking about anything else I'm thinking about yeah. the tactics of how to play mm. I'm thinking about what I need to do I like to become tunnel vision when I do something I like to become very sort of focused on that thing mm. um, so 
I think I am doing a mix of those. Um, the traveling, like you said, yeah, I, th I think it's just a matter of like, I, I don't enjoy traveling. So mm. if I can make it as comfortable as possible, then I'd love to, but yeah. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think like sort of the um, f first class is like a, a different level of wealth. <laughs> Um, and then the, apparently the next one is private jet, <laughs> which <laughs> yeah, is like exactly. an, an even more like obscene. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because yeah. like, I'm sure you've seen like the crazy thing about a private jet is you don't have to go through an airport. You mm. just turn up on the strip and you go onto the jet mm. and you just go like, what? <laughs> yeah. Wow. <Insane. laughs> and you can just be like to the pilot, hey, let's go here. And they'll just go. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. It's just absurd to me. But what a position to be in mm. if, if you ever do get into that sort of position. <laughs> Amazing. I think that's a pretty solid place to end this. I guess uh, final question is any any final parting words that you would like to share with anyone listening? Yeah, subscribe to my channel. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, like, um, I think like, like if we go back to the cancer thing, I think it is just a matter of, I think the biggest thing I've learned is not caring about what other people think and just, just doing whatever you want. Mm. Doing whatever is healthy, but doing whatever you want, really just not caring about what other people think. Good place to leave things. Yeah, I feel like I, I often have this with regards to the medicine stuff mm. where my mum has a very strong preference that I do medicine. And <laughs> typical Asian mum. Typical Asian mum. <laughs> and I have a strong preference of like, medicine is fun, but it's just not as fun as the stuff I'm doing right now. Sure. And given that I feel like I'm in this very, very privileged position where I can do what I want, um, you know, full-time medicine certainly wouldn't be on that list of, of things. Mm. Um, but yeah. Anyway, good chat. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Everyone subscribe to Olio and yes, um, we'll see you on the next episode of whatever we end up calling this podcast. That's it for this week's episode of Deep Dive. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, please do leave a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe to our Deep Dive YouTube channel where you can watch the in-person interview. Links to all of Olio's stuff will be in the video description. So thanks again for watching. And always remember, journey before destination. See you later.